Well, as I mentioned earlier, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you once more to the Gospel of Luke. So if you have a Bible, please point your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. We will pick up where we left off last Lord's Day in chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one provided for you in the pew in front of you. Luke 16 in the church Bible is found on page 875. The passage we'll be reading towards the bottom right-hand corner, verses 14 to 18. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, please take that one home with you. That is this congregation's gift to you so that you have a copy of God's Word and can read it. Here at Pickle Baptist, we believe that God makes sinners right with Him by faith alone apart from any merit in them, and that God Himself imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to them, declaring them righteous, acceptable to Him in His presence. God gives faith to His people. They are united to Jesus Christ. And in the death of Christ on the cross, His perfect obedience in life becomes the grounds of for their acceptance with God. And that reality is explained in part in the passage that we'll be considering here in a moment. So we're going to read verses 14 down to verse 18 and ask for the Lord's help on our time together in a what seems to be uh, maybe a bit disjointed of a passage in Luke 16. So we'll read 14 to 18. I'll pray for the Lord's help, and then we'll work our way through this passage together. Should be around five minutes or so. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things. And they ridiculed Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. That's it. There it is. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come to you and we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us to understand your words. These are the words of eternal life. Give us grace, Lord, that we might submit to them, that we would see ourselves as beneath them and they above us. You are our King, our Commander, our great and glorious God, and we ask that you would teach us now from your word the truths that you would have us know about yourself, about ourselves, and how to live in accordance with your word. Do this for the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. 
Well, I'm thinking about starting a business. Let me know what you think. I'm thinking about um, manufacturing bathroom scales, which only read what you want them to read. And I feel like I can make a killing on this. Near as I can tell, though, with my idea, there's really only one flaw. And that is literally every other scale in existence. So all I have to do is to keep my customers from ever stepping on another scale or ever going to the doctor's office to step on their scale. It's a work in progress, and so I'll, I'll keep you updated. Well, of course, there are other flaws with this idea, with a lying scale, for example. And that is that it lies An instrument of measurement is only useful so long as it tells the truth. In the passage before us today, the religious elites of Jesus' day, folks that we've become known as the Pharisees, are back again. And Jesus exposes the Pharisees' use of faulty instruments to measure themselves. Not to see how well that they're doing on their keto diet or something, but faulty measurements for how they're doing spiritually. They're using faulty tools to give faulty measurements, tools that are designed specifically to tell them what they want to hear. And so our Lord Jesus puts them on his scale, the true scale, the only scale that matters. And the Lord exposes their lies. He reveals what is actually true about their spiritual lives. There is much for us to learn in these five verses. But let's be honest. As I said earlier, they feel out of place in Luke 16, especially verse 18. They feel disjointed from what has come before in chapters 15 and 16, and then they feel disjointed from what's coming at the end of chapter 16. So I spent the better part of my week really just banging on the gospel writer Luke to see if I might be able to find why he put this passage here. I think I found it, or at least I found some part of it. But you be good Bible students and you beat upon Luke in this passage and you see if, if I'm right about that. Here's the big idea this morning. Right standing with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, freeing God's people to keep God's law. Not not to please him, but because through Christ they already do. So, right standing with God is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, which frees God's people to keep the law, not because by that they're made right with him, but because they're already made right with him. So, three points. Three points to draw out of this text, and they're rather simple. 
The first is the gospel of the Pharisees is false and that it kills. The gospel of Pharisees is false and it kills. And the second is the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and it gives life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true and it gives life. And then the final point, which we'll say for the end, is that the true gospel is to be received and rejoiced in. The true gospel is to be received and rejoiced in. So I trust that you'll see these things as we work our way through the passage. Let's have a look again at the first two verses, verses 14 and 15. Let's read that. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things that Jesus was saying. They ridiculed him. And so Jesus says to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So the Pharisees are back. We've taken a break from them being around for a couple of weeks. They're like, those, um, they're like those fruit flies that you get in the summertime, those annoying little flies that sort of buzz around that it's impossible to get rid of them. That's the Pharisees. They're just kind of buzzing around the edges of Jesus' ministry, and they're back. And Luke describes them as lovers of money. Literally, the original language means they're friends of money. In Jesus' parable, of the dishonest manager, which we considered last Lord's Day, the Lord taught the disciples to leverage worldly wealth to make friends for eternity. Well, the Pharisees didn't make eternal friends. They made friends with money. Literally, money was their friend. Rather than seeing money as a means to an end, they saw money as an end itself. And these men were around when Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost son and the parable of the lost older brother and the parable of the dishonest manager. And Luke says, they ridiculed him. These men ridiculed God the Son incarnate. The word means they held up their nose to him. This word is only ever used one other time in the Bible. It's used when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the people were scoffing at him. Same word, ridiculing him, holding up their nose to him. And it's astonishing, isn't it, that men would do such a thing. Because here is the uncreated, the eternal one, the eternal and infinite God, the maker of heaven and earth, the giver of life, the sovereign Lord, the one before whom angels cover their faces, and he has wrapped himself in humanity on a rescue mission to save those he loves from judgment. And these fruit flies of men are jeering at him, sneering at him, turning up their nose to him. That they're not turned into a pile of ashes boggles my mind. And the Lord of glory, whose very gaze could melt diamonds, looks at them, and the very voice that created all that is speaks, and he puts them on his scale, the true scale, the only scale that matters, and he gives them this reading. You are those who justify yourselves 
before men. We've encountered this reality before in the Gospel of Luke. If you remember back in chapter 10, an expert in the law of Moses came to Jesus to test Jesus. He said to Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus pushes him to the law and says, well, what does it say in the law? And the man answers, well, I need to love the Lord my God with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. Love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus answered, exactly, that's all you got to do. And the man, wanting to justify himself, same phrase, asked, well, then who is my neighbor? To which Jesus replied with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember back when we we took a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, you'll remember that we learned that no one loves God and loves their neighbor like that. No one loves a stranger like the Good Samaritan in that. No, not one. And that question is back. And that teaching of Jesus is back. And this time it is the Pharisees who want to justify themselves. Well, in truth, we're going to encounter this reality a couple of more times in the Gospel of Luke. Turns out that efforts of self-justification are just simply a universal human problem. The word justify in verse 15 is this great big Bible word. It's glorious. And so we should take a moment or two to define it. The word justified comes from the courts, the legal courts. It means to render a favorable verdict, to be declared righteous, right, by some authority. So a picture, the evidence has been seen, has been weighed, for and against, and the accused is declared innocent of all charges, justified. The gavel falls, the judge declares righteous. That's justification. And the Pharisees were those who justify themselves before men. And there are many problems with this, not least of which is that you don't justify yourself. You don't tell your bathroom scale what it should read. You just step on the scale and read the reading and accept it, either with a smile or by crying yourself to sleep. Justification is not something we declare over ourselves. It is something that an authority over us declares over us. So that's one problem. The second problem might be even bigger. And it is that they sought to be justified before men. Men don't matter. Justification before men doesn't matter at all. Men can have and bang whatever gavels they want to bang, but it is God's gavel that matters. 
This is why Jesus says, God sees your heart. It's his scale that is the only true scale, the only scale that matters. You know, one of the most surprising things for a new Christian is to find out that sometimes those in the church who appear to be the most righteous turn out to be the least. I've been in church my whole life. It still shocks me when I see it. That those who appear on the outside to be most devout, most knowledgeable, who by all metrics that I'm conditioned to read seem to be closest to God, turn out to be furthest from Him. And this is the case of the Pharisees. The Pharisees on the outside, they appeared to be the most devoted followers of God. They memorized Scripture. They kept the Sabbaths, they made long prayers, they wore all the right clothing, they ate all the right food, none of the wrong food. They strained gnats and they gave alms to the poor. They donated 10% of all that they had, including the herbs from their garden. And yet, when God himself, wrapped in human form, stood in their midst and they saw him with their eyes, they didn't recognize him. In fact, they rejected him and they ridiculed him. Because their devotion was never for God anyway. It wasn't God they wanted. They craved the praise of man. They wanted the reputation of being righteous more than actually being righteous. They used the ceremonial laws of God like it was some kind of formula to curry favor from their fellow man. If I do this and I do this, then I'll get justification before men. It was external obedience to the law to get what they wanted, commendation from man. And Jesus gives the true reading on the scale. And it isn't commendation. It's abomination. He says what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Every effort to justify oneself before men is an abomination before God. An abomination. The word means that God wrinkles his nose. Like when you wrinkle your nose after you smell spoiled milk or rotten eggs. Every time we creatures from the dust look to our own deeds, our own morality, our own efforts and merits as the basis that God should accept us and bless us and hear us and answer us is an abomination before God. Now, why would that be? It's God's word. He's the one who commanded the commandments. Why would he be repulsed by his people keeping his law? Well, he isn't. It's just that they don't. 
Demanding justification before God on the basis of our law keeping is an abomination because we haven't kept the law. It's it's like a bride walking the aisle in a dress, soiled by the remains of a night spent carousing with other men, demanding that she is chaste and pure and that her groom must marry her so that she can get her hands on his riches. Our keeping of the law will not commend us to God because we haven't kept the law. We cannot keep the law. The the reformer Martin Luther wrote, wrote this. The most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man is that somehow he can make himself good enough to deserve to live forever with an all-holy God. Close quote. You see, that's not what the law's for. The law is a mirror. It exposes where we have failed to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The law is a mirror to expose the dirt on our face, but the mirror can't clean your face. It can only show you what dirt is there. You can rub your face all over the mirror all you want. You're not going to remove the dirt. It's just going to smear it around. That's what a mirror is for. The law exposes sin, but it can't fix the problem. Seeking self-justification by keeping the law is asking the law to do something God never intended the law to do. It's not something the law can do. And the more we try, the worse we make it. It doesn't lead to life, but to death. This is the gospel of the Pharisees. It's false, and it kills. We need the real gospel. We need something else. We need something better. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus says next, verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom is preached And everyone forces his way into it. He says the law and the prophets were until John. He means J.B. Not that J.B., the other J.B., John the Baptist. He means John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. The law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament, did not end at Malachi 4.6. They ended with John the Baptizer. He was the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He was the greatest because what the prophets saw in fragments, John saw in the flesh. The law and the prophets were until John because John preached the purpose of the law and the prophets when he saw Jesus and he cried, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins Of the world. When God the Son, Jesus Christ, 
stepped onto the scene, Yeshua HaMashiach, when he came up out of the waters of the Jordan River and the Spirit descended on him like a dove and the voice of God the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The law and the prophets hit their target and a new era of redemptive history began. The law was like an arrow flung from a bow atop Mount Sinai and it hit the bullseye in Jesus Christ. Century after century of trickles and streams and rivers of revelation from all of the prophets from across the centuries gathered together into a waterfall and pour onto God's Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel of the Pharisees was no good news at all because one cannot justify oneself by keeping the law. The Pharisees had misunderstood the law, they had misused the law, and they had not kept the law. Because the point of the law was to point to the point of the law who is Jesus Christ. And they missed him. The only standard of law keeping that God accepts is perfect law keeping. Well, to accept anything other than perfect law keeping would be unjust. It's tampering with the scales. If God were to accept his 50% attempt at keeping the law, then why not accept her 49%? Why not accept my 4%? Besides, justification math doesn't work like that at all. James 2 if you fail in one point, you fail in all the points. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Romans. Now listen carefully. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. You hear what Paul's saying? You want that justification, that like gavel fall righteous standard? You want that? Just keep the law. That's all. And then Paul goes on and says, there's a problem. No one does that. No one keeps the law. No one is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short. So what is God going to do? Well, he could tamper with the scales. He could grade on a curve. But that wouldn't be just. But if he's just, then everyone is doomed. So what does he do? Enter Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, sinners are justified by God's grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see what Paul is saying? It was Jesus who kept the law in his people's place. It was Jesus whom God put forward 
as payment for their sin. It was Jesus who took their filthy garments and gave them his own. It was Jesus whom God raised from the dead. It was Jesus' own righteousness that is counted as theirs. It is to Jesus that they are united by faith and will be so forever. So justification comes to the sinner through Jesus, who did all that the sinner didn't do. So Christian, when you hear the good news of the kingdom of God and you're not thinking to yourself, it can't be that good. I wonder if you're listening at all. For when Jesus Christ is understood as he truly is, sinners of every color and stripe, of every sin imaginable, of every tribe, tongue, language, and people, when they hear it, they will fight to find their way to get close to him and take hold of him by faith. That they would be cleansed of their unrighteousness and seated at his table, declared just. This is what is meant by the clunky translation from the ESV at the end of verse 16. When we read, everyone forces his way into it. When they hear the truth about who Jesus is and what he has done, they will, they will press through almost any barrier to get to hold of him. These Pharisees, they were blinded by their own efforts to self-justification. And so they ridiculed the Son of God because they couldn't see him as a Savior, because they couldn't see their need for a Savior. But sinners made aware that they are sinners and that there is nothing they can do to rectify their situation will see Jesus as the precious Savior that he is and there's almost nothing that will stop them from pressing through every barrier to take hold of him by faith. Everyone forces his way into it. And so I have to ask, I don't know if there's any non-Christians in the room. I hope there is. I just wonder, is, which one are you? My unbelieving friend, which one are you? Are you like the Pharisees? Blinded by your own efforts to justify yourself before men? Seeking to do all the things that you think will be, make you right before God and right before others? In which case you've been blinded to the good news of Jesus Christ. Or are you like the sinners who will press through any barrier to take hold of Christ. Friends, you need a righteousness that is not your own. You need the very righteousness of Christ. And to you this very morning, God extends a free pardon of your sins when you repent and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do, he will lift off of your life all the garments soiled by your rebellion and your sin. And he will gift to you the perfect white robes of his own righteousness. Such that when your creator, your heavenly father looks upon your life, he no longer sees the wrong things you've done. He can only see the right that his son has done. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ like this, do it today. 
Look for someone after the service and tell them you'd like to become a Christian. I'll be standing by those double doors. Come and tell me. I'll pray with you and start meeting with you, start telling you more about the righteousness of God that comes by faith. The law and the prophets were until John, Jesus says. And since then, the proclamation of the good news of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone is preached. Now, does this mean that the law and the prophets are just done away with? Does that mean that the first 39 books of your Bible are just worthless? Not at all. That's what Jesus says in verse 17 and 18. Let's read it again. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. In the gospel of the kingdom, not one dot of the law will be void. Not even the tiniest little marking above a Hebrew letter will turn out to be pointless. The Pharisees who missed Christ missed the point of the law, and they hadn't kept the law. And that's the point of verse 18. You see, in Jesus' day, it was not uncommon for a man to divorce his wife for just about any reason. Some of their rabbis gave them permission to divorce their wives for the silliest of reasons. Because she didn't look good or cook good, they could get rid of her. And guys were swapping around wives like automotive tools, using and abusing women. It was reprehensible. And the Lord is showing these Pharisees that by doing this, you're breaking the seventh commandment. God gave you a provision of divorce in the law, and this isn't it. The Pharisees weren't loving God. They weren't loving their neighbor. They were looking for loopholes. And the, the law is not so flexible as to allow loopholes. And so Jesus says, you've made adulterers out of yourselves and out of all those you taught to divorce your wife for any reason. But you see, this is what happens every time anyone tries to justify themselves by keeping the law. They end up destroying the law because they have to. Well, you have to make loopholes. You have to find workarounds. You have to monkey with the scale. The law of God is just too inflexible. It's too exacting. The Pharisees were adulterers, misusing women, misusing God's law, lying to themselves and to others about being holy, while turning up their nose to Jesus, who was the only one who kept the law, simply because he receives sinners and eats with them. Because he tells stories about God's love for sinners. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't invalidate the law. The gospel upholds the law. It fulfills the law. It keeps the law in its rightful place. The gospel upholds God's scale. The true scale. The only scale that matters. And the gospel shows man what is true of him 
and points him to the Savior. This distinction between law and gospel is critical. And Christian, you have to see it. Law and gospel are not opposed to one another. But when it comes to justification, they could not be more antithetical. You must keep them in their rightful places. And this is why we, even though we are Christians, need to hear the gospel every week. Just think back over the last couple of chapters. You, Christian, were the lost sheep. The lost coin that Jesus found. You were the prodigal son, dead in your sin, but made alive in grace. You were the older brother, using God to get what you wanted from him. You leveraged worldly wealth to make worldly friends instead of eternal ones. And like the Pharisees, you, dear Christians, seek to justify yourself before men. When we press into this, I'm afraid we're going to find again that we have much more in common with the Pharisees than we care to admit. Think about it, Christian. How long and how many times have you been hedging your bets against grace? Because you didn't really believe that salvation can truly be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How often are we looking to the law to do what the law cannot do? i got a problem in my life. It's probably because I'm not keeping the law. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep the law. Five steps to a healthy marriage. Ten steps to overcome addiction. The secret formula to running your business like God would have you and have success. You see, it's all law. It's all law. It's all do, do, do. And it's all do, do. That was free. You can have that. It's all self-justification. Do you see? So the law is not the answer. The gospel is the answer. You don't do the gospel. You don't live the gospel. You receive the gospel. God set his love on you and sent Jesus to do for you what you couldn't and wouldn't do. And his death and resurrection has cleansed you of your sins and he has gifted to you his righteousness. All of it free, all of it by grace. This is the gospel which saves you. This is the gospel which keeps you saved. And this is the gospel that's going to carry you all the way home. Christian, you never graduate out of the gospel. You became a Christian by the gospel. You stay a Christian by the gospel. And you make it all the way home because of the gospel. All of the Christian life is doing business with the gospel. Because, brother and sister, you need to know that your heart is going to be constantly assailed with these efforts to turn away from the gospel and turn to the law for your justification. I'm not exaggerating. The moment you leave this place, 
you're going to be asking, have I done enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I read my Bible enough? Have I given generously enough? Have I kept the commandments enough? Have I shown myself worthy enough? I just got something to say. Enough is enough. No more. PBC, quit looking for your justification there. It's not there. It never was there. It never will be there. Tether your justification to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it is. That's where it will always be. And never move it from that place. If you want to know whether you are enough, you look to the cross. That's where your justification is. Because when you do, Look to the cross. Look to your Savior. Listen to his words on the cross. It is finished. When you do this, you uphold the law. Your keeping of God's commandments, when trusting in God's Son for justification, is out of a delight in him. Not so that you can make demands of him. Not because when you keep the law, you'll be united to Christ. But because you're already united to Christ. Obedience is not for your justification. It's from your justification. How are you righteous before God? Listen to what some really old Christians wrote in the Heidelberg Catechism. How are you righteous before God? Out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner. And as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. So Christian, you don't need a new scale. And you don't need to tamper with the one you have. You simply need to step on God's scale. The true scale. The only scale that matters. And you just need to look with the eyes of faith on what it reads. Which is this. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Receive that. Accept that. Go and sin no more. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you once more that we find ourselves in uncomfortable company with those Pharisees so opposed to your son.
we find ourselves humbled because like them, Lord, we have sought our justification by our doing, by our law-keeping. And we have failed to see how you have already done it all for us. It's worse than we could have imagined. But by your grace, through your Son, the answer is greater than we could have ever dreamed. And so we thank you. Please receive our confession of law-breaking and of self-righteousness. And forgive us for looking to ourselves that we're righteous. Set us free that we might keep your commandments. Not to earn our justification, but from it. And whenever our hearts long for the doing, let us take hold of Jesus and declare it done. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon, which this morning comes from the magnificent letter of Paul to the Romans, where we read, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Brother, lead us in one more song.